Russo and Marengo, part two. Tommy Russo, the movie star who perhaps best defines the term megaration with his seemingly endless expansion in ego and in urge. The Tommy we all knew, from the outsiders to inner planets, a lone wolf in all but pelt. Actor, director, screenwriter, stuntman, pilot, pioneer, and in his lost decade, low-ranking apprentice to the spirit of Otis. But what was the secret of his success? How exactly was it that he came to be regarded by so many as the real deal? The truth may be a little more gamey than some fans would have it, who, like many an unsuspecting tourist shoveling down their steak hachet, are contentedly oblivious to the significance of the shoveling. It was during the filming of the epic battlefield costume drama First Consul that Tommy and Tommaso met. Tommy, who appeared to have been born to play the role of Napoleon, perfectly filled his velveteen breeches as he strummed the line between anger and honour. The boyish, gold-buttoned emperor looked to have come straight out of a painting by Angre. Tommaso, who had found such a steady foothold in the industry by this point, was known to many simply as the Fool Guy, the emphasis weighing on the definite article. And he, in his turn, appeared to have been born to play Tommy. Their likeness was in many respects uncanny, so much so that the director would often confuse the two on set and waste it reel upon reel in a costly comedy of errors. Soon it became habit to refer to them simply as Tommy and Tommy Two. Part and counterpart quickly developed an elastic bond, and thickly they thrived, like two thieves in envious pursuit of the other's riches. It was Tommy Two who first introduced Tommy One to the central ideas of innerology and the notion of manifesting. Tommy found it impossible to get his head around until Tommy Two managed to get hold of an extremely rare copy of the legendary Apple Crunch movie. He couldn't quite believe that the apple the actress held was in fact not there at all. She was so advanced in her ability to manifest that she could not only see, hear, taste, feel and smell the apple herself, but she could make us see it too. Tommy too, with a little concentration, could make the apple disappear, stripping the performance of its illusions and returning it to the humble mime it was. But the reverse was still somewhat out of his reach. Tommy wanted to know everything, to learn all that he could. It went way beyond the method acting that he had been used to. This was something different altogether. From Tommy Two's side, he said that in a scene when you're being shot, you don't just imagine the bullet flying towards you and hitting your shoulder, shattering your scapula and propelling you to the ground in a spasming ball of pain. No. 
bullet, your pain, they had to be summoned into existence. Your fool, and this after all was his forte, had to be driven by the external forces that you brought upon yourself. You make the real, and then the real makes you. One night, drunk on Lacrima Christi del Vesuvio, Tommy too, on some slurred rant about the art of the stunt double, had declared, You can copy a fool, but you can't fool a copy. Tommy, struck by this enigma, had asked him about it the next day, but he replied that not only did he not remember saying it, but that it didn't make much sense either. If he tried to understand the tale, then the head fell off. And on declaring that the head in fact made some sense, then the tail would hide itself. Until he concluded that it was no use trying. It was a seesaw saying and nothing more. From Rabat to Rome, Reykjavik to Riga, Riyadh to Roseau, the two Tommies crocheted their brows together, learning from each other as if they were joined at the cortex. They started a new production company, TNT, which cleared the ground for many new ventures. Though an equal partnership on Foolscap, to the public it was a statement of Tommy's supremacy, as Tommy too preferred to act as a shadow partner, avoiding the unseemly side of the business. As he got ever closer to that elusive goal, Tommy gradually started taking on his own stunts, but having taught him as much as he could, Tommy too seemed to lose interest in that goal. As Tommy tried to make it beyond belief, Tommy too turned further by degree to the make-believe. was at the original Festival of Light, later rebranded as DVD Vali, that Tommaso was exposed to the work of Anne von Schroeder. In fact, it befell him like a malady. Her movies attacked him. They lay siege to his body. At one moment during the festival, he had grabbed Tommy's arm and screamed wildly in a delirium that he felt like his organs were being reorganised. It took a few months to recover, and something had definitely changed. The Rhapsody Trilogy can perhaps now be seen as the summit of their collaborative efforts. Stunt doubling for each other, both starring, both directing, voice dubbing each other's inner thoughts. This merging, mixing, and confusing of identities left some longing for simpler days. But the general agreement was that these movies had reinvented a tired genre. The stunts, as could be expected, landed with a certain gravitas. But what was most notable was the direction of the combat scenes. Like a bored gang member uninterested in the gratuitous violence, the camera turns away and instead focuses on the minute details of the surroundings piles of trash, greasy windows, rats sleeping under broken pallets, cracked drain pipes 
stripping the delectably smooth interiors of parked cars. The soundtrack suffices to tell us what is happening, for our oversaturated minds can easily fill the absence. In another scene, the camera focuses on the eyes of the two assailants, a split screen telling the whole story through the gaze. And yet another takes a bird's eye view, but this is an active bird, frightened by the commotion that flies up to the rooftops, peers down, changes position, eats a worm and eventually flies off, indifferent to the human struggle. For anyone versed in Marengo's work, these scenes are obviously his, but at the time they bore a certain novel shock value, a delirium of detail in what would otherwise have been mere meat grinding. The critics had highlighted several scenes and stunts as noteworthy, and as Tommy was officially the director, and officially the stuntman, as well as officially the star of the movie, he officially accepted all the praise. But in truth, he had been overshadowed by his shadow, and he had started to feel like an imposter. For Tommaso, old scores had settled in the dust of their own accord, and he had now drifted to the other side, far from manifesting, far from making real. He now saw his end in the crafting of artifice, in the making of worlds rather than the remaking of this one. The circle had almost been completed when a line of flight became visible. To matter no longer mattered. Indirection was his new direction. When he told Tommy about this path, he replied, But we're so close. The eyes of Inquisition. Together or to what? Were left unanswered. Tommy, having played so many selves, garnered the praise of his characters. But these people, none of them were him. None of the fans were really fans of Tommy, though they thought they were. The women were in love with Jack DeRosa, and the guys all wanted to be Jimmy Garrick. He had been typecast to such an extent that it was generally acknowledged that in fact he couldn't act and was always just playing himself. It had been handed to him so often, like a tastefully typeset business card, that as he began to direct his own movies, he even typecast himself. But where was this self? The harder he tried to manifest, the further away his self had seemed to fly. And now, trying to find a route down, he saw that the ladder had been kicked away, and all there was left to do was fall. Tommy Russo, a constellation in his own right, was a deity in doubt. And what becomes of a god who no longer believes in the existence of gods? leaving the empty studio one day, with an urgency that only the unengaged can lay claim to, Tommy had heard a voice calling, Mister, hey, Mister. A bristly-haired man, 
who had something hoggish about him, with eyes that held the steady confidence of a predator who had locked onto its unsuspecting prey, handed Tommy a card without saying a word. On the card was written in majuscule, Ever feel like a fake? And on the back, from major to minor, Otis knows you true. Come join us. We're gathering this evening. I guarantee you'll find it quite the biz. On that very same evening, Tommy was admitted to the Order of the Inner Sanctum. <laughs>